0: Welcome to another edition of the Q Podcast. I'm Gabe Lyons, and today we're talking about a subject that I get pretty excited about because it's a little bit of a twist on how a lot of people tend to think about our role as Christians in society. You know, I grew up in an environment where lots of times we talked a lot about the culture, maybe the things that were wrong with the culture, the things that we would easily criticize or condemn, and it was easy to see a natural path to kind of backing away from culture, to deciding that we should, as Christians, separate. I talked about this in my earlier book, The Next Christians, this idea that we can become separatists as Christians. We can essentially decide that our mission in the world is to be Christian, to get saved, to get as many other people, to make that conversion decision as possible, and then to just kind of hang on and wait till we go to heaven one day to enjoy the blessings of eternal life. Well, the Christian faith calls us to something that goes far beyond kind of escaping the world or just hanging on until an eternal afterlife. And I think that's one of the challenges. I think people back away from the Christian faith because it doesn't always have answers for how we're supposed to deal with the here and now, finding purpose, meaning, knowing what our calling is, why we're here on this earth, and how to engage the real world issues and problems and, and issues that people are confronting in their daily lives. I mean, if our faith can't speak to the real world issues of this moment, then we have no business claiming the Christian faith. You see, the Christian faith really provokes us to engage, and that's exactly what this talk is about, is being provoked to engage instead of being offended and withdrawing. I think for a lot of Christians, sometimes we get offended by the culture around us, and so we withdraw. We go and go behind our safe zones. We have conversations with people who think like us and look like us and talk like us, but we don't always walk towards what's actually provoking us. And I believe the story of Jesus is one that leads us as Christians to understand we should be provoked to engage. Whenever we see a problem, when we see something broken, when we see an injustice, we should be called towards it. We should walk into it, not walk away from it out of self-protection, but walk towards it because we believe that's where God's glory actually shows up. That's where transformation can happen. That's where people really experience new life and true life. I want you to listen to Joe Saxon as she helps us to biblically understand this idea of provocation and what it looks like for us to engage the way people did in the New Testament. Now, Jo is somebody who I just love hearing from. She's somebody who not only writes amazing books, but she's lived a life where she's been provoked. She was born to Nigerian parents, raised in London, England, and now she lives in the U.S., but she's done so much work with missional communities, people who are living out their faith in a variety of contexts. She understands the power of what it looks like when Christians show up, when we don't just withdraw, but we actually engage the real issues in front of us. So let's listen in now to Joe Saxon, encourage us, educate us, and inspire us to be the types of Christians that don't withdraw, but engage.
1: So as um, we're so lovelily put, um, I've come from a movement, which basically we were part of a church in England where we realised it simply wasn't working anymore. And when I say wasn't working, we sang the songs and we meant every word, but we weren't impacting. We weren't impacting society. So we needed to look for new ways. We were desperate enough to look for new ways to engage with our culture. And out of that, we discovered some things. And that's simply what I want to share with you today. And a number of us have moved over to the States now and have been exploring the same old story in a a different context. And I just want to share that with you. When we look in the Bible, Nehemiah was provoked when he heard the story of what was happening in Jerusalem. We see in Acts 17, when Paul goes through Athens, he's agitated and provoked by the artifacts of the culture around him. And likewise, when we look at the artifacts of our culture or the brokenness and the emptiness of some of our cities and communities, it gets underneath our skin and provokes us too, doesn't it? And the reason is, is because our culture has been shaken to its very core, like a cultural earthquake, if we were going to use a slogan. Now, some of those tremors were obvious, things like economic collapse or terrorism and war or natural disasters, even quite literally devastating. And some of the tremors, we don't even know where they came from. We can just hear them in the ever-changing ideas that our culture is presented with that end up in our songs and in the soundtrack of our lives, as it were. We know the aftershock, sometimes quite personally, because we see the things that we thought were stable and solid. Political systems, once. Education, perhaps, once. Church, once. Marriage and relationships, once begin to turn and crumble into rubble. So what do we do? Well, we could be offended, couldn't we? We could pull away, we could set up our Christian alternatives, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing all the time. It might feel safer, look cleaner, be less polluted, or we could somehow be provoked to engage. And by that I mean we choose to be the rescue team. Now the rescue team is more than good intentions. We hear in um, the stories of devastating tragedies that well-meaning people send donations that take the form of high heels and fur coats and don't actually help anyone. And we might be offended by that. But when we look at the church, when we look at us as Christians in the workplace, in the media, in politics, in the arts, we have to ask ourselves the same question. When the world is shaken, are we doing things, communicating things that are well-meaning but aren't actually affecting any change? That actually don't connect with where people are really at. Hoping somehow we can draw them in, attract them in when we need to go. So how do we engage in a cultural earthquake? I'd like to suggest just a few options. The first thing we need is compassion. The first thing we need in a cultural earthquake is compassion. In a natural disaster, when a world is out of control, you think of survival. And so maybe we do things that we wouldn't normally do. Maybe the pressure gets to us in such a way. You'd put yourself first, your family first, your needs aggressively, because what you want is to survive. And when we look at our cultural situation, our cultural earthquake, maybe people are disorientated. And because their lives may be spinning out of control in some way, they do what it takes to survive. The institution of marriage crumbled sometimes on our heads. So, no, we don't want to commit. Thank you very much. The church judged us for who we were, what we looked like. What our orientation was. So no, we're not interested very much. The people we looked up to as leaders let us down and they lied. So no, I don't trust you very much. It doesn't feel like a safe place. What's our response? Do we judge them? Are we offended by them? Or do we have compassion? I wonder, and I ask each of us to ask ourselves the question, what is the limit of our compassion? Is it the woman who had an abortion who doesn't have regrets? Is it the felon, the illegal immigrant, the gay couple next door who are raising kids, the sex offender, the racist? I wonder what the limit is for you. Mine would probably be the racist, not my favorite people, to put it bluntly. And yet, and yet, in a world which is shaken, is there room for compassion? I wonder what your one would be. And I'd encourage you to write it down. It's embarrassing sometimes, isn't it? But we need to know. The second thing we need I'd like to suggest is communities communities I wonder if we and we can never imagine what it's like to go through some of these things when we've not experienced it but would you be attracted to a concrete building in the middle of an earthquake would that, would that be the place you'd go to for safety and so when we when we hear on the news the stories of these tragedies often the governments will ask for tents secure lightweight covering structures that provide some sense of security and safety in a time of devastating change. And so for those of us who consider ourselves Christians who want to engage in the middle of this earthquake, are we expecting people to be attracted to something which we would be afraid might crumble? Crumble on someone's life, as it were. Would they come into our building, whatever that building might be? You see, increasingly, it doesn't seem to matter how much we spend on buildings or our projects or our programs. We're not seen as safe because it looks and smells like rubble sometimes. So what do we do if we're the rescue team? Because we want to help. We want to serve. We want to connect. Well, one of the ways we do that is we go and we become the tents in communities. In our story in Sheffield, one of the things we had to do was get out of our building and um rather than being tied by programs and money because we didn't have much um we were tied by our relationships with a purpose and so the artists gathered together and set up and installed and had these beautiful incredible installations in local parts of the culture which they invited their wider community into and it communicated things that we would never put into words and we went into the inner cities amongst college students and we one of our guys was um reaching out particularly to the DJing culture and the club culture. And and we'd take bottles of water and chocolate to help the sugar and stuff when someone vomits and to get them hydrated. And we'd found that as we began to connect and build community, we actually ended up reaching a lot of the doorman. On a Saturday night, church happened, well, about 3 a.m. But we built community around them. And honestly, it's not a new idea. It's the oikos in the New Testament, the household of people with a purpose. It's David's mighty men gathering people on that cave, a shared life together um, under God, as it were. And so those who were in the legal profession gathered those around them. Their job was their ministry. It was their life and built community because they couldn't do it. We couldn't make it alone. At the time, and this was maybe 15 years ago, we had the rather unfashionable name of clusters because it was groups of small groups who did it, who had this purpose of loving God, loving one another and loving the world in action. Now we call them missional communities, as it were, because our purpose was to rebuild society. That's what we're here for, right? To effect change. And our story wasn't seen in a building that was shaken, but in the life, the honest life that we shared with one another. The rescue teams need to build communities, needs to go and be community, needs to go and demonstrate community. Why? Because even in the breakdown and the individualism of the West, we're still hardwired for it. Whether it's on our TV shows, when a group of friends do life together, where our modern family is an eclectic bunch. We're hardwired for more than just the nuclear thing. We're designed for more. And we could lead the way in that again if we had the time. Who's your community? And what does it look like? Have you got a tent ready for the people in need around you? Because the third thing that, um, and I, I'd suggest, that we need in the middle of a shaking and a cultural earthquake is a connecting story. I guess the big words are metanarrative, as it were. Because in time, when people are drawn into communities, when the screaming has stopped, when the shaking, the devastation has stopped, people need to talk. They need to make sense of the voices they heard in the rubble and the brokenness and the loneliness of their lives. When your meta narrative, your big story, who you are is ripped up, what have you got left? What's your identity now? People need a connecting story that's not defined by loss, but defined by redemption. And we've um, had the privilege of seeing this in all kinds of places and in communities that are planted into wealthy suburbs through to ones that are planted in the inner city. Our most recent experience was a, um, among a group of friends of ours who were Nepalese refugees. They'd lived in refugee camps all their lives. Actually, they'd grown up in them. Their story was one of dislocation and loss. So we, they became our family, our, our church's family. We, we went to them. They didn't have to come to where we were. We, we planted where they were and they didn't weren't they anymore. They were part of us. So the story became one of an extended family and the story of one who came down from heaven and broke into humanity and turned things around. And so that became their story, too. It didn't end with devastation and loss. It didn't end with a bank balance in the suburbs. It ended with a redemptive story. Are we connecting people to a redemptive story or just the information of who God is? And do they know that they're called to be part of it? You see, we need a bigger story, which suggests, and this will be my last suggestion, that the fourth thing that people need in a cultural earthquake is a compass. You see, when the world is devastated, when um, a disaster like that takes place, all the maps are out of date because the landscape looks different. It just doesn't work anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. The roads have gone. And I want to suggest to you that maybe the maps we received at our conferences and at seminary, in our experiences, just aren't accurate anymore. It's not that they're bad. It's not that we diss them or say they're terrible. It's just that the landscape has fundamentally and irrevocably changed. And so it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so we may have received certain things, certain pieces of information that would change the world. And we work hard and hard and hard and it's not working. And it's because the landscape has changed. What do you need when the maps don't work? You need a compass. You need a compass. And that compass is Jesus. Jesus is the compass for the inner city. Jesus is the compass for the rich, the poor. Jesus is the compass for Muslims, for Hindus. Jesus is the compass and it may not be the trendiest thing to say and it may not be the nicest thing to say. And we may say, use words if you have to. Well, we have to. We have to. And that quote was given in the context of someone who already was. We need to do both, don't we? Show them the compass. His last words to us were about making disciples. They weren't going to be attracted. We had to make them. I wonder how we're doing with that. So my thought is, will, will we go to the rubble? Do we know the rubble's there? Let me be blunt with you as um, as I finish up. I ask myself this question and I'm going to ask you it too. And I, and I mean it when I say I ask myself this. Would you have found me in the rubble? Would you have found me in the rubble? You see, I grew up. My family were from other religions. As it were, my grandfather was an imam. Would I have been too hard to reach? Would you have found me under the rubble of the area I grew up in? It was devastating, devastating in the inner city. Racial tensions all over the place. We were just spat on and forgotten. Would you have found me there? Or was it too dangerous? I was under the rubble of my parents' messed up marriage, broken and so spent the first six years um, of my life in foster care with that wonderful woman. What amazing experience, but seriously left me with fundamental issues. Um, <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, new issues. And would you would you have found me in the rubble? Or would I have been just a bit too high maintenance, taken too much time because I was not going to get fixed in a program? Would you have found me in the rubble? And would I make the time to find somebody in the rubble today? Or would I hope that they'd get drawn into a nice thing that I did? Would you find me in the rubble? Would you have found you in the rubble? And when you, when you were there, would you listen to my screaming? Have you got time to hear the screams? And would you have had the tissues for my tears? Would you build community around me? Because I don't know what families look like. My church used to laugh when I said to them, I goes, you don't get it. I've not seen a marriage work before. So I have to watch you because one day if that happens, I I need some clues on how that's going to be. Would you connect your story? Would you have had the time to connect your story to my story so that the story would not be one of loss and messed upness? But redemption, that's going to take time. To rebuild love, to rebuild trust, to rebuild confidence. Have we got the time for that? Have we got the kind of tents that make room for that? I don't need a program. I need a life. And that's not to say programs are bad. Because they ain't. But the maps are changing. Would you have found me in the rubble? Would you show me how to live? Would you have rewritten my story? And would you give me the compass because I know you're not the answer and I'm not asking you to be. But would you have given me the compass or hoped I worked it out? Back in the day, somebody um, had compassion. Back in the day, somebody um, invited me. They came to me and they demonstrated community. And they weren't the trendiest, flashiest, wonderfulest people in the world. They were human beings and they were raw. But they showed me community. I did life with them. Ate their food. Generally, I ate the food. And they gave me a connecting story. They helped rewrite my story, a story that's lasted and brought healing and redemption, taken my whole life and turned it around. And they obviously, they gave me the compass: one who lights my way for the rest of my days, which has changed the fabric of my family. And now I'm on the rescue team. Now I'm on the rescue team. We may need to get more concerned with sending teams out than gathering people in. Or we may realize that the way we gather people in is by sending teams out, as it were. You know, the way in which we're doing it right now might work for some. It might. But it's not working for a lot, if we're honest. We've got to ask ourselves, can we live with that? Can we live with hearing the cries of our culture and not being creative enough to experiment with anything to see if it works? Or will we do same old, same old? I think what did Einstein call it? Insanity. Same old, same old. Obviously, he said it far more eloquently uh, and expecting different results. The world is shaking and the West. Yes. And yes, America is in the middle of a cultural earthquake. We can be victims. We can be provoked to be offended, or we can be provoked to engage. We can hide away, or we can be the rescue team. Do you see it? Do you see the earthquake? Do you feel it? Compassion, community, connecting story, and the compass. We don't need to be afraid. We need to be the rescue team. I hope you'll join us.
0: I'm sure you enjoyed hearing Joe as much as we did when she delivered this talk at our Q conference. And I hope you'll join us this year for our Q Conference. In fact, I want to tell you about a special. I want you to take a moment and and listen in on the opportunity you have in front of you, April 24th to 26th, to join us in Nashville, Tennessee, for our annual Q Conference. And at this conference, the talks like you just heard from Joe, the talks you've been listening to on this podcast, you're there in person. You're not only hearing the latest talks for 2019 and what's happening in our culture, where the future of our world's going, But most importantly, how does faith, how does the gospel, how does the church actually engage with these ideas? Well, in April 24th to 26th, you'll sit with over 2,000 leaders who've come together, sitting at round tables of eight, not only hearing talks, but then having dialogue with people, not only just in your channel, whether you're a business leader or maybe you're somebody who works in a church, but you're sitting alongside people in media and entertainment, working in the fashion industry, entrepreneurs, people in the social sector, the nonprofit world, you're meeting so many other leaders who are really grappling with how do they live out their faith in a biblically faithful way, but also in a way that's provoked to engage the world. Well, if you make the decision this month before the end of December to join us at Q while our supplies last, we actually have a Christmas gift that we want to give you to just say thank you and to kind of incent you to make that decision now to get it on your calendar. I know your life's busy. I know you have a lot of priorities, but what if you just carved out three days this year and you said, look, three days. Three days where I'm going to get invested in as a leader. I'm going to get invested in as somebody who's leading where I've been called, and I want to be as educated about the issues going on in the culture around me as I possibly can. I want to gain confidence. I want to grow in my ability to know how to engage some of these really difficult topics, these difficult issues. I want to be inspired in how my calling may be making a difference in what God's trying to do at the greater kingdom level in the world. So when you make that decision to not only come alone, but for two of you to come together, when two or more of you register, we're going to actually send you a gift that I think you're going to enjoy. It includes an amazing album by Sleeping at Last. It's his Christmas record. Ryan O'Neill is a part of that. It's just beautiful writing, beautiful music. A candle from Thistle Farms which is an amazing organization that actually does so much to fight against injustice. And then for the first time we've created this, it's kind of like collector's edition. Okay, This doesn't exist anywhere except right now in December, is we're going to give you a sweatshirt that's a Q sweatshirt that actually says, stay curious, right across the front, black on black. I think you're going to like it. It's it's really cool. And then in addition to that, we want to give you two books, two books that mean a lot to us around here, and we want to bless you with that. One is a book of prayers and liturgies and scriptures called Canyon Road. It's a beautiful book. Go to our website at qideas.org slash 2019 for 2019, and you'll actually see what this looks like. But it's a wonderful book, 500-page book, that you'll want to sit out on your office desk, maybe in your living room on the coffee table, as a reminder for prayers that throughout the day, maybe you're having a tough day, can scroll through and see a number of liturgies and prayers that will encourage you. And then in addition, as the new year starts, We want to help you get in tune with your goals, with the kinds of things that you want to see accomplished in your own life and your own growth in the coming year. So we're giving you something called a full focus planner. It's designed for you not to just track your goals digitally because we know that many times we put information in our phones, but when we do, we kind of lose it. Maybe it gets in your notes page. Maybe it goes on a different app and sometimes... You don't really take the time to process your goals, how you're going to reach them, the books that you need to read, the meetings that you want to have this year, the way in which you're going to grow. You're going to become more of the person that God's designed you to be. And so this full-focus planner is not only a planner, That helps you start your year off right, but also gives you online content to come alongside you and actually help you think through and process some of those decisions as you move into the new year. So we want to encourage you, we want to help you do that. For those of you who actually want to buy a table for Q, and and there are many, many, many people and organizations that do this where you actually buy a table of eight, you get the best prices that way, but you, in addition to that, are able to invite friends, colleagues, those that you work with, and together come and not only take in this learning experience, but really have incredible conversations as a team about how you're going to live this out, how you can apply this within your context. Well, if you happen to do that, Our friends at Apollos have this wonderful market bag, and you can actually customize what goes on the front of it. And we just want to give that to you as another gift when you bring a table of eight or more. So take advantage of all this. Go to qideas.org slash 2019. You can learn more about the event. You can see some of the presenters and topics that we're taking on. The topics that we're going to be discussing this year, once again, are going to be right at the front edge of where conversations are going in our culture. But we're both going to equip you with how to think about those well, but we're going to let you hear multiple sides. There's going to be debates and conversation and disagreement about how we ought to, as Christians, think about some of these ideas. But we're going to let you wrestle that down by providing you with the best information, the best thinking, while also equipping you to understand how a Christian worldview, a, a vision for the world through the lens of understanding the gospel, really informs the way we lead and love In a culture that doesn't always recognize Christ as its Lord. And so I hope you'll join us there. Thank you again for being a part of this podcast. We look forward to continuing to learn together as we listen throughout this month.